Today's sponsor is Casper, the online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person coaching Donald Trump to focus on MySpace and Google+, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Aileen Lee, who likes my joke about Donald Trump. For nearly 13 years, she was a partner at venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins Caulfield and Byers, one of the more famous in the Valley. In 2012, she left to start her own firm, Cowboy Ventures, which has invested in companies like August, Dollar Shave Club, and even Phil's Coffee. Aileen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I have known you a long time. Where did we meet? I, I don't know. even know. Where did we meet? I don't know. Some bar. <laughs> Probably. 3 a.m. Drinking away. Um, so I'm excited to have you here. I've been trying to get here for a while. You're hard to pin down, but I, and I have finally caught you in my web of red chairness. <laughs> I really am glad you're here. Um, I'm excited to be here. A Good. little nervous, but excited. You'll be fine. You'll be okay, fine. You know how to you. deal with me, Aileen. So <laughs> I, I want to start off. I, one of the things I do start off is talking to people about where they're from. And, you know, since you are the person, I think most people know who coined the term unicorn which has been with us ever since for good or bad. Um, And you've been around the venture capital business for a long, long time. And you're a unicorn yourself. There's not that many women venture capitalists. Oh, thank you. So why don't you talk a little bit about your background and how you got where you got? Because, you know, it's very, you know, it's very typical to have a white male venture capitalist and they usually do the same things. But you've had a really interesting background. Yeah. So I kind of, I have my job or my, my career a little bit by accident. I'm a firstborn uh, child of a Chinese immigrant family. I grew up on the East Coast, and I have to admit, like, I did not grow up around technology. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of grew up in an environment where my, my family was very oriented towards, like, just, you know, get a good education, but, like, engineering. What did your parents do? My dad was a dentist. My oh. mom managed his office. Wow. Um, and so you didn't want to be a dentist? Uh, not so much. Okay, I right. appreciate the sacrifices <laughs> my dad made. Um, but I actually I went to a great public high school, but uh, when I was growing up, and I had lots of smart classmates that were girls, but we, none of us were really pushed into math. Like, math or computers or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like Girls took like AP history and AP English and AP European history, and, mm-hmm. and boys took calculus and physics. And right. I remember reading an article, like, this is in the eight, late 80s, mm-hmm. about scientific literacy and mm-hmm. how girls actually were kind of like the stats were showing that girls were not pursuing careers or majors in quantitative or so, like STEM fields. And that kind of like pissed me off. And how old were you? Like no, eight? In, no, no, no. I was like in high school, I think. Yeah. And, um, and so I decided to apply to MIT. Wow. <laughs> just like, wow. Um, and I got in. I, like, you hadn't I, ta- heretofore taken any of these No, things. I was completely underprepared, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. Like, and, uh, but I just figured it'd be good for me. And um, I was fortunate that I had enough, like, the grades and the, the test scores to get in. It definitely kicked my ass. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not super prepared, but I really loved it. And mm-hmm. I realized, like, I think, and maybe not at the time, but in retrospect, like, it was just a great working with so many smart people who are just such curious minds. So coming to MIT unprepared, yeah. most oh, of those people. Oh I my mean, God, my freshman Megan roommate. Megan and she was like at the, the genius high school. Oh yeah, I was not. Buffalo. Like my, I remember my uh, my freshman year roommate took AP Physics in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And I called my mom and I was like, uh, Houston, we may have a problem. 
um, but I made it through. <laughs> and what's the first year courses there? I, for, I you ta- there's like a core first year, which is fortunately pass fail. So mm-hmm. you take a year of math and you take chemistry, biology. Um, eventually, you, you know, you program and see. I don't know if you, they still do that, but this back then, this is what you did. And so you kind of have to take two full years of math and science. But it was great. Like I just, I worked with so. I mean, I I, I hung out with and learned from so many smart people. And you and had I a realized, capacity for it that you didn't know you had. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think that's probably like the parallel to that is like I now I don't I don't build the products I don't ship them I don't architect the products but I work with and support the people who are kind of like the people I'm with. Yeah. Well, what did you come out of MIT with? A uh, Sloan undergrad, business right. undergrad. And then business undergrad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but you yeah. had taken computing courses mm-hmm. and coding yeah. courses. Yeah. So how did you get to venture capital? So I was an analyst at Morgan Stanley for mm-hmm. two years after college. And, um, the Mary Meeker years? Uh, she was there at the time, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And legendary yeah. even then. You were at a tech such analyst? a young age. Yeah, uh, yeah actually, I was an M&A analyst, um, mm-hmm. and we did a lot of tech. I, I moved out to San Francisco for my second year and worked in a small tech group. What did you push? What- well, gosh, back then, uh, I remember 3DO going public, mm-hmm. our corporate finance. And like people who are still in the Valley and doing an amazing uh, job now were on the Morgan Stanley tech team back then. Mm-hmm. So I worked for George Boutros. Mm-hmm. Frank Quattron was running They're corporate finance. They're still slogging away, Frank. Um, so it was a great time. To, I mean, I don't think I really understand what was going on at the mm-hmm. time. Um, but uh, And I had heard about venture capital then. But to be honest, like I, it sounded like the coolest job. Like you meet with entrepreneurs, you hear their stories, you try and pick through who, like what, what's the right combination of market, timing, opportunity, people, um, and then you just help them. But right? you were and an you, analyst then. So yeah. How did you make, how do you make that leap? Uh, I mean, you were basically studying stuff that you guys wanted to take public. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a sales job in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, I was on the M and A side, so it was a little different. Yeah. It was more like analysis of, of business Should models we, and yeah. figuring out how things com- combined. And this but, is what year? Uh, this is um, 92 to 94. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so a lot of analysts would take a third-year job going into venture capital or something else. And some of my uh, colleagues were looking at venture capital jobs. And I kind of was like, oh, that sounds really cool. But it was all guys, mm-hmm. mostly white guys. Yeah. And I looked at the firms. And back then, I think we had to go to the library to figure out <laughs> who the yeah. firms were. Yep. And they were all guys. And I just figured Older guys, I, I would yeah. never fit into this world. Like, I didn't grow up in Connecticut with a business man father who had mm-hmm. been teaching me about business. And so I didn't try. Right. Um, I wound up uh, going to Harvard Business School. And along the way, like I had, you know, worked at the mall at Short Hills for many, many years oh, nice. when I was in high school. Well done. And uh, I always been there. had a, um, it's a nice mall. It's a nice mall. And uh, I kind of worked my way up the retail food chain at the Short Hills Mall okay, <laughs> over good. the years. And uh, I had always been really interested in brands and brands that had a lot of customer or like organic consumer love, very high sure. quality products, not a lot on marketing, but a lot of customer love. And so when I was in business school, I worked for the North Face and Odwalla that were oh, both um, private up. companies, like up and coming companies with just a lot of customer love. And then I went to Gap after business school, and which was like a really I hot company you had back such an then. Interesting background. Oh, thank you. What did you do? Fleece? Or I did. Or what? No, I did. Um, like I worked on this first this business development team that was kind of like a strategy group, trying to like, but working hands on with merchants on stuff like pricing or store strategy, and helped write some business plans. Like at the time, we were thinking like, should we do maternity? Should we do Gap Body? And we would kind of do research, trying to figure out market sizes, and like, how would we do this? And what would the brand be? And like, what would the business be like so it was in a way like a little bit like entrepreneurship and then my second year I actually got to be chief of staff for Mickey Drexler oh wow um he's the he was the 
founder. Yeah, he was. Well, no, he was not. He was the CEO, CEO at sorry, the time. Yeah. The Fishers are the founders, right. and then he's and he's running J Crew now, and he's just an amazing merchant. And it was such an amazing time at Gap. Like we really were a talent magnet company for the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely under Drexler, they've had some ups and downs. Yeah, I mean retail, I, like you know, it's a hard business, yeah. and you have ups and downs. But he changed it from being a sort of a, a cheap brand because it was used to be fall into the Gap. I don't yeah. know if you remember. Yeah, that, that was a long time yes, ago. But I do remember. It that. was sort of a warehouse kind of approach. Yeah, and then it totally. became kind of trendy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember, like, khaki swing. Mm-hmm. That was, like, a big, like, everyone used to wear khakis. Yep. Right? And Gap was, like... The khaki. The, yeah. The headquarters. Yes, exactly. And then my last year there, I was on the internet team. And ah, we were, so like... So this was pre-internet. This is very... This 99. 99. Like, yeah, it was just... Oh, then it had already Yeah, like, we had to give 99. So, like, dot-com boom was happening. Some of my friends from business school had gone to these, like, ran, like random startups at the time. It was, like, Amazon. Or Netscape. And I was kind of like, oh, good luck with that book thing. Right. <laughs> you didn't want to do it. You didn't. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. Because you had worked in a tech M&A, but you were probably not working on that tech M&A. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that tech didn't exist. Netscape. Yeah, that yeah. tech didn't exist. Um, and it just seemed like really smart people were going to those companies or moving really fast. Uh, and I knew that being on the dot-com team at Gap, like, we were kind of slowly figuring out how to stand up a site every day, but mm-hmm. we just didn't have... I think the A team or the ability to run as fast as these pure play internet companies. Right, right. Um, and so I decided I wanted to join an internet company. And mm-hmm. I just basically interviewed with anyone who would talk to me. Right. And, and I wound up getting a job at Kleiner Perkins. Okay. But it was Kleiner, not a company. You didn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. Did, you, did you interview at any companies? I interviewed like a thousand companies. Who did you not take that you wish you would take? Oh, well, you know, it's so funny because um, I did interview with a company called Della and James, mm-hmm. which was a yes. wedding registry company. Right. Um, founded by Jenny Lefcourt and Jessica Heron. And I'm mm-hmm. still friends with them today, but they were like internet pioneers in the they dot-com were. era. Mm-hmm. And Jessica, as you know, is now the founder and CEO of Stella and Dodd, and Jenny's mm-hmm. a partner at Freestyle. I also uh, interviewed at Eve.com, founded by Varsha Rao and Miriam Nafisi. Uh, Varsha's now at Airbnb, and Miriam's the CEO of Minted. Mm-hmm. And I'm still friends with them from back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was really cool. I mean, they were like no f- female founders back then, no, but the four of them are all still yeah. in the game. Yeah. And Did you doing ever an awesome interview at like the Googles or the Amazons of the world? No, I mean, Google I met in 99 when I joined Kleiner. And Which was early. It was like, I don't know, it was probably 10 people, the garage, 15 people. The garage. Yeah. Susan Wojcicki's garage. Yeah, totally. Like, I remember, um, yeah, actually, yeah, we were all young. So and Why did you get to Kleiner? <laughs> I want to get you. I think basically they were doing a search for an associate, and the associate would be working mostly with John Doerr. Mm-hmm. And it was a combination of like, I was somewhat technical, having gone to MIT. Um, I had been chief of staff to Mickey. I had some internet experience and consumer experience. And the dot-com boom was happening. And most venture firms did not have many consumer people at the right. time. They had a lot of like networking and ship people. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was a feeling like, oh, you know, and there was not, it was not a partner track job. So it was like, come do this for two years. You'll be smarter than you were before about startups. And hopefully you can make a better decision about where you go next. And I was like, that's fine. I don't know anything about Silicon Valley. Like, right. And it was just, the most prominent firm among yeah. them. I guess Benchmark yeah, I think, like, started to At the time, Kleiner, Sequoia, Benchmark were probably it. Like we mm-hmm. saw everything. Right. You know, it would back, I mean, ventures changed a lot. Back then, sourcing was not part of my job. Right. Because probably for the first Eight years. Mostly because you got everything. We saw everything. Like, we right. didn't have to look because everyone called us. Right. And so your job was to help source or things came over the No, I mean, it was evaluate. Right. Um, back then, we would print out business plans and put them in folders. And every night, I would take home, like, 20 folders and just read business plans. Right. And it was a lot of it was helping portfolio companies. Like, Kleiner was and still is very service-oriented around, like, venture is a service job. We are in service to entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. And so it's about, like, 
like sitting shoulder to shoulder with them and figuring out like what's our plan, what what are our priorities, should we do OKRs, like who do we need to hire, mm-hmm. what customers we need to go get, like and basically kind of like walking through walls for the teams that you're working with. What did you evaluate that you did a good job on and what did you evaluate that you did not? So I definitely have learned a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spent many years working with Segway. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, um, yeah. Seemed exciting. It was exciting. Okay. Segway Polo actually, Okay. like, misunderstood, little known, super enjoyable sport. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> For the super elite, but okay. All right. Um, the 1% of the 1%. It was really funny, actually, because I was trying to, like, there was some, like, you know, for mostly geeks who like cool tech toys, right. people were buying, you know, these $8,000 Segways. Yeah, I remember Jeff Bezos running around Ted on one the entire yeah. and I was like, get the hell off that. Like, stop. <laughs> like, please stop going into restaurants with me and these things. <laughs> and um, Steve Wozniak had bought, like, four or five. Yes, that's right. He and so them. he would bring them in like a little in a minivan to a field and then like invite engineers that he knew to play Segway Polo with All him. All right. Okay. And so on the weekends my husband and I would like go play Segway Polo with this right. like crew because we were trying to get to know the Segway Sounds community. Sounds enjoyable but not a great business. No, that was a you know, it was a good lesson. And I think like my lesson there is I did not love it. I thought it was a super cool product mm-hmm. and a really cool technology, but eight thousand dollars no clear practical use cases, no place to like put your bag mm-hmm. or like, how are you going to lock it up when you get to work? If you take it to work, like, right. you can't, it's not easy to go it's upstairs. Big. It's, and, but I did not, I said some of those things softly, yeah, but maybe not as loudly or as effectively as I could or should have, because I was, I was the only woman almost always. Right. Which we're going to talk young, about. I was young, I was working with people that were legends. Right. And so I felt like they must know better than me. Right. You didn't want to say you're an idiot. Like, that's well, or I just, I think I just didn't have the self-confidence that I uh-huh. wish I had had because maybe I could have saved us some money and some, some money. time. Which one did you yeah. get right? What did, like, what did you think you did a Gosh. good job on? I would say, like, there are some, you know, Bill Gurley was on recently and mm-hmm. um, he was talking about rules. Mm-hmm. And, like, we used to have rules. I mean, most right. firms do, right? Which is lessons learned, right? After right. many, many years of, of um, making good and bad decisions, you have lessons, which is like you have to have a certain amount of ownership. Mm-hmm. Or we only invested A, we don't invest in B or C. Or we only look for these kinds of people or whatever the rules are. Right. And back towards the end of my years at Kleiner, we were pushing to get more involved into seed. A few of us were. Right. And then it was just kind of like, we don't do seed. And like Uber was one of the seeds that we took a look at. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a magical, even though it was black cars, so there was a risk that it was like a rich people's product. Right. It was a magical experience. And mm-hmm. a, like, and we had. Which you had been talking about brands that delight Yeah. Customers. And like we had said, like we are looking for like, dig, like mobile native new services that are delightful and that were the, the product oriented founders who just create magical experiences for mm-hmm. customers. And Uber certainly felt like once you started doing it, you were just still thinking about like, wow, that was so cool. It was so easy. It made me feel so special. Mm-hmm. And, and like one of the things that I've always had in my head is a little bit like the Starbucksification of everything, mm-hmm. right? Whereas there's a lot of things that you take for granted every day where you're not treated with respect, mm-hmm. or you might be willing to pay a little bit more like coffee used to be 99 cents. And now you're willing to pay three or $4 for it because it makes you feel so much better. Absolutely. It's like a little treat during the day, mm-hmm. right? And Uber was, was that. Was that. Yeah. Right. Dollar did, Shave Club, in a way, is that. Well, we're going right? to talk about those. I mean, they, but you invested in Uber then. You for, No, I did not. You did like, not. They did later. I suggested right? it. They did later, didn't they? Um, but we, it's like we don't do seed. Right. And then there were also rules around, like, we don't do things that are too expensive, right? And right. that was a, like, Bill was saying, I think, something about how you have to, like, play the game. Yeah, that's like, on the field. That's on the field, right? Like, what is happening? At the time, things were getting expensive. And um, you have to decide, like, am I going to sit it out or am I going to pony up? Right. And um, there are some things and that I think we, there are some things that I wish that we had done 
um, that would have been like, you know, both fun making and career making that we didn't do, but in some cases I pushed for. Okay, well, we'll talk about those when we get back. Um, that was an interesting thing. I remember, I'll never forget Sergey Brin once telling me we couldn't have paid too much for YouTube, like when they were right. bidding for it. They're like, there was no price too high to get that particular thing, and it's actually true. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. All right, we're here with Aileen Lee, who is the head of Cowboy Ventures. She was previously a venture capitalist at Kleiner Perkins. We're talking about a lot of things. She is also the person who created the term unicorns, and we're going to talk about that when we get back. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by Club W, the world's only personalized wine club. They deliver wine that you'll love based on the results of their palate quiz. The recommendations get better every week as your preferences come into focus. How 2016 is that? Seriously, who has the time to wander around the wine aisle guessing what to buy based on the label or a recommendation from a clerk? Club W delivers a high-quality wine at a great price. In many cases, you pay $13 for a $20 bottle. That bottle comes direct to your door, and they'll cover the cost of shipping. So visit clubw.com slash decode for 20 bucks off your first order. That's clubw.com slash decode. FreshBooks is a super simple cloud accounting software that's helping over 5 million small businesses conquer their administrative and paperwork in less time with way less stress. It takes only 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional-looking invoice. And customers who accept online payments with FreshBooks get paid three days faster on average. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at an invoice you've emailed. They also track your expenses, cash flow, and the time you're spending on each project. See how FreshBooks' thoughtful, intuitive design can make a huge difference in how you deal with your day-to-day paperwork. To start your free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com recode and enter recode decode in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com recode to start your 30-day free trial. We're here with Aileen Lee, who is a well-known venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, one of the few women venture capitalists, and the creator of the term unicorns. How do you feel yes. about creating that? To explain how you did that. How do you feel about unicorns? I, I'm tired of the term, I'll be honest, but I liked <laughs> it when it came out. I did like it when it came out. It's very e- efficient, yes, I would say. Because like billion dollar, you know, valued by public or private markets at over a billion dollars, but less than 10 years old is right. like a long All right, so explain how say. you came up with that. It was just a naming convention for this analysis that I was trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I had this new fund. Cowboy Ventures. Cowboy Ventures, $40 million seed fund. And before diving into making a lot of investments, I wanted, I had the fortune of having kind of like a clean slate and more time because I didn't have a huge portfolio to work with. And I had asked uh, some of our investors, LPs, you know, like conventional wisdom or like kind of the lore of venture capital is you work really hard with a diverse portfolio of companies. You might have 20, 30 companies in a fund. And at the end of the day, it's like two that matter. Right. Like, can I see the data? Mm-hmm. And it was actually hard to come up with the data. Like everyone agreed, but they didn't. And I was like, and then, so how many do you have to look at every year to find those two? And can right. you tell at the beginning that those two are those two? Or right. do they, they wind patterns? up, are there- like, are they pivots? Or like, what, where do the people did they all go to Stanford? Did they all drop out of high school? Like, right. what's like, what, what? And they weren't keeping data. On no, there's, I mean, no. our industry historically there's a lot of guessing, very little data. Right. And that's changing, I think, right? right? Like, the whole money ball idea of like money ball for venture capital or money ball for a lot of things that historically have been very anecdotal and mm-hmm. like subjective, right. I think is like on its way. Mm-hmm. And so I basically just started making a list of like, okay, what are the winners of the past decade? And how, what, and what's the cutoff for what would right. be to, to, like, what would be a winner? And then let's just start, let me just start looking at data. And at the like, time, like Crunchbase wasn't like a thing that you could really search. So it was really a lot of hand pulling right. and a lot of calling friends who I happen like who happened to be a lot of these founders or people that I knew. Like, how did you meet? 
is this the like did, is, how many founders were there yeah like and and how like how old were you when you started the company is this the original idea like are you still doing the original idea and like where did you work before like looking up their linkedin right. profiles and just putting it all into a actually big, doing your homework like <laughs> putting it all into a big spreadsheet mm-hmm. and then like lining up all the companies and saying okay what do these companies have in common and it actually turned out that, that they had a lot in common well, first, like one is it really is like this less than one percent thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's very rare. And then it was also like how many a year at the time when I wrote up the analysis in 2013, there were basically on average in the past in the prior 10 years for a year. Right. That's also changed in the past couple of years. All right. But it was vast majority were teams, people who had worked together before. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, pretty much no women. Right. Um, almost always a technical co-founder. Like there was just a bunch of, and people like, you know, at the time in 2013, there was this like drop out of college, start a company. Right. You're a loser if you haven't started a company by the time you're 24 kind of a thing. These people started their companies in their 30s. Ah. And they had work experience beforehand, mostly at tech companies. So it was like, I kind of, I was happy that that's how the. So you're disproving all the Yeah, because I would, notions. you know, we would, I would be having meetings with founders who would come in like kind of like sheepishly being like, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm 35 and I know I'm really old, but I hope you'll still meet with me. Right, right. right. It's like, no, it's like you're doing the right thing. You went and got some work experience. You work with really smart people. You You got to to know a market. You know how to build and ship product. You got some exposure to sales and marketing, whatever it is. Like now you're ready. Mm -hmm. So when you use the term, where did you come up from it? Why unicorn versus anything else? Well, I like I had kind of, I know. Well, it was kind of like, you know, I had like a bunch of different things. Like, I don't know, like um, home run, a bunch and they just sounded yucky yeah and unicorn when i put that in there it was like the idea was something rare mm-hmm. something that's almost magical kind of legendary feels special it didn't sound like loser business term right right <laughs> yeah there's so many yeah so i it just kind of made the whole thing easier to read and so it made it a little bit more fun your fund yeah like mm-hmm. or maybe like a year into it and it got a lot of attention what do you what do you think of the attention has gotten since because now it's sort of mm-hmm. unicorns are in trouble you know like yeah. it's sort of used as a handy term you know i know people were kind of sick of it like you maybe yeah no but not sick of it it's just that but it's being used in different ways the, i think than you envisioned it the reality is like, you know, it may feel like it's an overused term, but that is still what our, I think our industry is about. Right. Finding right? these. It's about, fi- like, from an investor perspective, especially not necessarily for Cowboy Ventures, but for traditional venture funds that are $600 million. Like, the way the math works is you have to be investing in unicorns, otherwise you're not going right. to... Which are doing, now called decacorns, do, yeah, right? right? a $10 billion company. Right. But you have to be, if you have a billion-dollar fund, you kind of have to own a certain amount of a $10 billion company to be able to be doing a good job and have top quartile returns. Mm-hmm. Like for mm-hmm. our fund, like our second fund is 60 million. We don't have to, right? right. If, if we own 10% of a $600 million company, we've returned capital. Right. So I actually like Let's that. Let's talk about, about why you left Kleiner then. Yeah. Like here you are, <laughs> you, you did this thing that got a lot of attention right mm-hmm. off the bat. You were at the most powerful venture and you were one mm-hmm. of the prominent partners there. What caused you to leave? And we actually, I think we, you were the first person that we called. Yes, you did. Yeah, um, when you left. When, uh, when I was leaving. It was a kind of a combination of things. Like Kleiner, I had been there for a long time. Right. And we had grown a lot bigger over the years. And I was fortunate to be a senior partner. So involved in a lot of the, the different practices that we had and a lot of the different meetings. And I found myself in a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about the next 15 or 20 years and thinking like, is this, like, is this what I want to keep doing? Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile... And these funds had gotten enormous, the right? Funds have gotten big, complicated, as you may have read in the mm-hmm. press or mm-hmm. you've written about, mm-hmm. right? Um, and meanwhile, seed was this emerging category where the teams are smaller. They're definitely more raw in terms of what they figured out. 
which is actually kind of what I like about working with entrepreneurs. Sure. And they are more appreciative in some ways of more help at that stage because mm-hmm. it's less baked. And where if you've got experience and you've got some advice or judgment to share, if you're really picky about people and you like to help people build teams, if you've like if, if you're really into product road mapping and prioritization, like ruthless prioritization, because at Seed you have like not enough time and not enough money. You have to kind of be brutal about like what are the five. So things. you're really helping these. Companies yeah, like getting really involved, like, them. and it's a different pace. Like we might make five or ten investments a year instead of a, a, a GP at a firm is meeting with a ton of companies all year long to make one or two investments. Right. And then, but you're married to them for like the next eight or 10 years. Why didn't you do a seed fund at Kleiner? Is that just impossible? I think it's hard Mary because- Mary kind of has a growth fund, which is not really seed. No, so I think it's hard, um, both because these firms have so, so much money under management, making mm-hmm. a million dollar investment just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And you have signaling risk, right? If you invest in the seed and you don't invest in the A, it's like, oh, what's wrong with that company? Like, right. is it not, did it not perform? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like, and I also- you know, I've been doing this for a while. I have so many, I've built a lot of great relationships with people I really respect that I never got to work with and I basically had to compete with to win mm-hmm. Series A's. Mm-hmm. At Seed, we co-invest. So some of the first people I called when I was thinking about starting this fund is Steve Anderson. I started with him. Right, at, fantastic. At, at, yeah, he's Instagram. amazing. He's done an incredible job like across so many different kinds By of companies. Himself, pretty much. Yeah, and we started together at Kleiner. Or Josh Koppelman, who has built an amazing firm, or Michael Deering, like people, my, I'm like mm-hmm. people who I've known for many years and become friends with, but never really got to work with. And I called them, and I was like, "Hey, thinking about the seed thing, is it too crowded? I mean, I know in general we think there's too much money, mm-hmm. but is there too much money at seed? And because there's were, a lot of angel investors, a lot, a lot of, of yeah, there are. But they basically all said. There is a lot of money at seed, but there's not enough really like experienced, helpful people who post, like writing the check, are going to work really closely with these teams for a year or two years to help them get to the A and help mm-hmm. them be on the right path. Like, mm-hmm. And we always co-invest, so we'll work together. It'll be great. And so I'm so appreciative of their support because maybe I wouldn't have done it if I, right. um, if they had said, like, yeah, it's, it's too hard. What was that like walking out? Because, you, you know, it's like sort of working at the New York. When I left the Wall yeah. Street Journal, yeah. I, I felt great. But that's, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like leaving behind a big yeah. name. It was hard. It was, um, and I'm really fortunate. Like I had, my husband and I had been having dinner with some friends who are entrepreneurs. And they knew me and they knew our, the Kleiner pretty well and asked how it was going. And, and they were like, so when are you going to leave and start your own firm? And mm-hmm. I was like. They said that to you. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, you think that, like, I could do that? And they were like, of course. Like, why wouldn't you? And I, I honestly had not crossed my mind until they said that. So I, I thought about it for, the, for three months. I, like, did my financial models. I worked on the deck. I thought about it. And the more I thought about it, um, I thought, like, this actually would be amazing. Like, maybe it would be bad. But I have, um, as I mentioned, I think I have a lot to offer and I have good judgment. Mm-hmm. But I think when you're part of a large firm, sometimes it's hard to get that through. Mm-hmm. Or and you also maybe are you get into this group think and you get worried about what people think about what you think. Right. So you talked about speaking quietly. Yeah, that's and a woman so, thing too. Yeah, I think I felt like this is going to be like there's no one to draft off of. Mm-hmm. It's like this is it. Your like, decision. Yes. Or not. It's like you have to have your gut and you have to have your frameworks and just go for it. And maybe it'll suck, but like you got to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the job. Not a lot of people do do that. It's interesting. Not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of women do that. I, I, have, I have to say it has been so much better than I expected. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if I had really expectations, but I think the flexibility and the agility for us to be able to like meet people and have a quick feeling about like whether I'm leaning for it, my heart's beating faster. I love the way they're talking about stuff. The market's big. And uh, like Bill also said, like you kind of get in this 
this worry mode of all the things that could go wrong because you don't want your 10 partners breathing down your neck being like, see, I told you that was going to suck. Like, I, first of all, I don't have that. It's just myself beating myself up right, all day right. long. But you really... Aileen, you suck. <laughs> yeah, I do think that quite a bit. But yeah. I think much more about what if it's, it goes right. Mm-hmm. Like, what if this works? It would be so awesome. Right. And I think, like, some of the things that are going on in tech right now, we were talking about Pokemon Go before or Uber, Airbnb, like, so easy to poke holes in those businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember Airbnb and Uber and everyone being like, oh, they are going to be regulated out of existence. Mm-hmm. Or like, they will be sued forever right. and yeah, they will never make no. it, right? The no. Yes, um, but sometimes. But you just like look at, I mean, consumer businesses, I think, are way harder in many ways than enterprise businesses. But when they work, you are truly changing industries. Mm-hmm. Um, you change consumer behavior. Like, multi-billion dollar hotel chains now think like, oh, how do we change our business in the age of Airbnb? Right. It's amazing. Do you ever wish you could invest more money? So you've got $100 million now. Under, like, uh, under management, under yeah. Under management. Mm-hmm. Do you wish you could have a bigger stake? Because at some point, they zero you out. They're not, you know what I mean? You're not. Yeah, you do get diluted over time. So right. you do have to be sent. And like, your influence, too. Um, well, hopefully, I think... One of the things is like being so close. Because they go, now we're coming in. And well, we'll being so close to the entrepreneurs at Seed where like really you're one of the few early believers, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people are naysayers and you're with them and you've helped them hire people and you've helped them make tough decisions and you've like kind of worked on, okay, what's the story for Series A and we have to make some tough trade-offs to make sure we make it. Like you're kind of in the trenches together. Hopefully the entrepreneurs remember that. And I we do stay in touch. It's not like we disappear after they raise their A. Right. Um, in some cases I stay on the board and stuff like that. So... Um, we do have the opportunity to continue to invest in the companies. But and, you try to do. stay in the seed area. Well, we, we get most of our ownership at seed, and then but we follow on in the A, the B, the C. Mm-hmm. And also LPs, and our, the investors in our funds, like they want to continue to have opportunities for upside. So it's actually nowadays a lot of seed firms create like what they call SPVs, special purpose vehicles, mm-hmm. where if you have a pro rata in a company that's doing well, but it's like $5 million, you just create an SPV and you do it through that. Do you think about raising even more money? Is that something given, you know, how much money there is a wash in the system? I do a little j- just because I would actually be able to hire more people. Hard to do now? Um, with, with our size, I think we're, you know, we're small. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I also think um, I want to be super aligned with our investors and with our entrepreneurs, which is it's all about the upside. It's not about the fee income, which I think is like a trap that many people in the venture world are stuck in is mm-hmm. like the crack of fee income. Yeah. Because we are small, it's all about what we call carried yeah, interest. Okay. Like it's like the, pro- the profit sharing mm-hmm. after we return capital. And if you want to get into that, you have to keep your fund small. Right, right, absolutely. So when we get back, we're going to talk about more things, including some of the thing, trends you see, some of the mm-hmm. investments you've made, and being a woman venture capitalist. Okay. Uh, you were also at Kleiner during the Ellen Powell. Well, actually, <laughs> I was I gone. You were gone. You got to, but being, yes. you know, all the issues they bring but up. But I there. was there when apparently stuff was happening. Uh-huh, okay. We will be back and talking to Aileen Lee, who is a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley and, is, and coined the term unicorn and lots of other things she's done. Casper has made the perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. 
Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com slash R-E-C-O-D-E and use the promo code RECODE. Terms and conditions apply. We're here with Aileen Lee, who runs Cowboy Ventures. Aileen used to be a partner at Kleiner Perkins, and she ha- runs a smaller seed fund mm-hmm. um, in Silicon Valley. Now, what have you invested small, in? But small but mighty. Mighty, right. That's what I say about myself. <laughs> I say small but vicious. But um, <laughs> what have you invested in that you that you think has been you were in august you were in uh-huh. a bunch of yeah i mean dollar shave club you mentioned right, that was good that worked uh, out well which is for you good yeah yep, exactly i mean lately we have been actually investing in, i think like you had a lot I, of retail because i didn't realize you worked for the gap yes I, I did um i did i'm actually super careful about retail and e-commerce because i think it's one of the hardest categories to right. invest in right. um it's super tricky so um and i think one of the maybe like the misperceptions of cowboy and me like one is with due respect to my friend Alan, like Alan and I are different people. Sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> and um, that we only invest in women ventures right. or e-commerce. Right. Like we actually invest in more enterprise companies than we do consumer, mm-hmm. um, especially recently. And um, we'll talk first about yeah. Dollar Shave Club. Yeah. That was, is that a hit or is it? Yeah, I think it's a hit. You sell it. You have to sell it because it's not going to. I mean, because oh no, I think it's going to get way bigger. Right. Um, so Why I think sell it was now? a great deal what's for the, Unilever. What's the impetus to sell now? Um, I mean, it was a good. It was a pretty, I think, a fair valuation. So right. it wasn't like a crazy no, price was, relative to how nice good the business price. is. No, it was a great price. And I think Unilever has a lot of resources. And my understanding is the Unilever leadership team, especially the CEO, kind of like Brett talked about, like the rapport with the CEO and seeing how you can actually get where you want to go faster right. with the deep pocket and the resources of, a, of the acquirer. Like, sure. I definitely think well, that that was... Well, it happened with a, a wallet, happened to all yeah, kinds of like a big, That was products. a big part of it for the Dollar Shave Club Right, and team. it was time to go. Did you wor- think about staying independent? Was that... I definitely think it was a tough. I was not on the board right. when it happened, but I think it was a tough call. So great because, outcome for you. One Kings uh-huh. Lane, not so much. Was that with Kleiner or with with Kleiner? With Kleiner. Yeah. What happened there? And those. I know I've been I, bugging you. About I know you've been bugging me about it, and it's you know it's, I think it's uh, even lower than we reported. No, you know? oh, I, I'm not going to comment. Okay. Oh, you almost did. Um, but uh, One Kings Lane, I think, is an amazing brand. Mm-hmm. Home is such a huge unaddressed category. It's such a tough one to shop for. I still feel like that category is not done like there will be a one king's lane 2.0 or 3.0 that what I is the trouble find. in e-commerce right now and then we'll get on to what you yeah. invest in an enterprise i mean e-commerce things. is really hard right mm-hmm. in some cases you have inventory but even in cases where you don't uh, margins can be challenging cost of customer acquisition is challenging frequency and retention is challenging um, and then there's amazon yeah, and there's Amazon, right? So you have to have unique inventory or you have to have a unique way of selling the inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Amazon is such an amazingly tough competitor because Jeff is such a long-term thinker, thinker and planner. Like he's, you know, he, he said, like, I'm willing to not make money on businesses for and now potentially, turned on the spigot, potentially like, decades right. because this is so huge and I'm going to be doing this for a long time. So, um, and he's got super deep pockets and really right. smart Thank people. Thank God for AWS, too. Yeah. He's shown he can make money. Yeah, yeah. Told, so, I mean, he is super smart. And so I think you have to be super smart. And, I mean, if you look at Zillow, which I think, like, that was a very good team. And I, I do think they built a great business in a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just tough. Mm-hmm. Retail is tough. What are you in in retail right now? I don't know if I'd call it retail, but we're investors in a company called Mimi Box, mm-hmm. which is a K beauty company. Okay. If you see this lovely complexion that I have, it's, it's snail cream. All I see. It's okay. uh, Korean snails. Oh, nice. Good to know. I think I'm going to pass on that one. Um, um, but the, you're not in that many. What are you focused yeah. on? What is your big focus? You know, at Seed, for us, it's really, it's a combination of like the people and the mission that they're on, market size, 
the idea and the technology Mm -hmm. like is it unique is it like and and what have they what have they figured out like kind of almost with nothing Mm -hmm. and what's the plan right Right. so with with a reasonable amount of capital can we get to a good place and are we headed in a great direction where we're going to build a great company and this and the team has like the the chops to be able to get there give me an example of something um, and why? Well, a couple, I'll talk about Textio. I don't know if you're familiar with no. Textio. It's a really, so like one of the things that we're excited about, which we are not seeing enough of, I think is what we call smarter software. Mm-hmm. Um, like some people call it AI driven software. Kieran at Textio calls it learning loop software. Like I think we have like the, you know, I think, I don't know if it's Sequoia or someone has this thing, like what's like, what's the reason why, like why now? Mm-hmm. And for the past five years, we've been living in like smartphone is the reason why now, right? Mm-hmm. Like because everyone has a smartphone, enterprise software has to change because they're not going to be locked to your PC, PC anymore. I'm not going to use that crappy UX that I ha- that we've had for the past 15 years when my iPhone is such a slick, cool product. Right. Or there are just like mobile native products that can disrupt whole industries. I think Slack. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many good examples, but um, I think in the next decade, smarter software is going to be kind of like the what, why. What does that mean? What is- it's like you use software all the time that is not learning. Right. Like if you, let's say if you open it up and you go to a certain like navigation menu bar and you always do the same things, like why doesn't it know it doesn't. that? Siri drives me crazy right? when I call like my like, sons. They don't know like it's It's, it's going to basically personalize experience based on who you are, what your role is, what your common activities are. Like if you do the same thing over and over again, your software is going to learn from that and right. either do and do it for you. Like instead of you having to click five things, it's going to basically jump from click one to click five. Right. And in the case of Textio, it basically ingests lots of writing and then can basically make recommend. Like we haven't had any writing recommendations since Spellcheck. Right. 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 But like, date, true. like we're sitting on top of crazy amounts of data from writing, writing an email and seeing if someone, how, how quickly people, like, do they open the email? Do they click on it? And do they take action? And like the writing that was in the email, the photos, like how long it was, like what was the tone? What were the words? That's data that you can learn from and then make your writing better so that more people will open the email, more people will click on it. And so Textio does that first for job specs Mm -hmm. and things that are related to people in HR. But I mean, this kind of learning software that basically like reads the body Mm -hmm. of writing and makes proactive recommendations that your writing becomes more effective, like Textio should be applicable. And it's one of the like only like real world applications of like learning loop software mm-hmm. that we have found. As it should, I mean, but I think there's gonna be a lot more. Yeah. What are you worried about? I mean, but, uh, Bill still talked about the bubble. He's yeah. Still, it's not coming off that one. I mean, I think there has been a cooling and there will continue to be a cooling, which is good. How does that right? manifest itself? From your um, I think like if you looked at the, the unicorn analysis that we did, if you looked at like the prior 10 years, were there good, better years for unicorns? Yes. Like there are certain years where like more great companies are born than others. And some of that has to do with downturns. Um, well, Google started a downturn. Yeah. So like yeah. many great companies, are, and it, maybe it's like, yeah, the entrepreneurs have to really want it bad to start a company in a downturn because they know it's going to be harder. And I think we're actually like kind of in that or heading into that. So I'm kind of hopeful that the like next year's vintage of companies started will be like super awesome mm-hmm. because Are you it's advising a tough time. Your people anything we did like in 2015 we slowed ba- we we slowed down our pace of new investments pretty significantly because we kind of felt like winter was coming mm-hmm. and from a fundraising perspective right because like people have been parting like crazy writing huge checks at very high valuations they're gonna have a massive hangover and they're gonna come pull back and they're gonna be like hey i have this really full da-, like from a venture perspective right? right i've got this really full dance card i made a bunch of expensive investments that have to grow into them or i have to figure out how to get them sold my partners are giving me a lot of shit for mm-hmm. the decisions that we made. 
I have, I'm like sober now, mm-hmm. right? And I cannot make new investments unless the team is ridiculously special or they've accomplished ridiculous things with almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's kind of the world that we're in. And so the entrepreneurs have to be tougher and more thoughtful than I think ever before. No so more parties. I don't, uh, it's not something I, it's like something I'm, we're paying attention to mm-hmm. and we're looking for so more it's judicious. kind of like raised our bar a little bit. Let's finish up talking about mm-hmm. being one of those few women, but there's, there's, there's just a few women venture capitalists. What is that like walking into a room when you're the only woman or you're, you know, you, I remember you talking about a dinner once where you literally you're the only woman in a room full of, Oh my God, it happens so much. I know. But um, one thing I would say, and we talked about this once, is one request I'd have is I really would like us to stop using the phrase good guy. Right. Okay. All right. If you pay attention, you will realize people say, he's such a good guy mm-hmm. so often. Mm-hmm. And there is no female equivalent. Like, what would you say? She's such, a good, she's such a good girl. Good girl. No. So no, that's stupid, a bad thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or she's yeah. a good woman. Like, what yeah. is that? She's good at bearing children. Like, what, right. what is that? <laughs> um, so, and it happens. Like, you know, you're sitting at a, in a boardroom right. with a bunch of guys. And it's a hot company that's thinking about raising their Series A or their Series B. And usually what we do is, like, we make a Google list, a Google Doc with, like, a list of target investors. And someone will be like, oh, I was just with Jimmy Brown last weekend. He's such a good guy. Like, we should put him on the list. And then mm-hmm. somebody like, oh, I love that dude. He's such a great guy. <laughs> and then so we put him on the list. And then someone's like, oh, how about Joe Schmo? Like, oh, love that dude. All right. And then I'll, and then there's always a, oh, I'll, bring a up, I'll bring up a woman. And they'll be like, oh, does she invest in security? Yeah. And it's like a totally different set of questions. Uh-huh. And there's no, she's such a good girl. Or right. she's, and like, so I would request we say, he's a good human or she's right. a good human, good right. person, whatever right. you want to say, yeah. good peeps. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of, we live, and like, this is just a, one example of just tons of like unintentional subconscious bias. Are they un- intentional? Well, are maybe they it's intentional, but it's like, not intentional, the, the, it's lazy. The filter I'm, I'm, I'm for stick with my... who I'm going to put on my cap table is someone who's a good guy. Like he doesn't rock the boat. He's kind of fun to be with. It has nothing to do with whether he's going to help build value in my company, whether he's going to introduce me to customers, whether Mm -hmm. he's, you know, but whereas I feel like the filter that I see people apply to females, like, do I like her? Is she going to be, does she have specific domain expertise, but can she introduce me to the 15 customers that I need to win in the next year? Like it's a totally different filter. Right, they're higher standards. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I always say the only time they bring up the word standards is for people of color and women. And they never bring them up. With, yeah, with white it's men. it's totally different. And yeah. the other thing I'd say is, um, you know, Kleiner did take a chance on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading this article um, yesterday about the Obama administration in the early days about how it was kind of like a very testosterone and yeah, thing, yeah, this was the, the shine, shine thing, right? Thing, yeah. You posted it, right? Yeah, yeah. And like I remember John doing that for me at Kleiner, like mm-hmm. in a meeting where like you have people with big personalities who are awesome debaters. He would say like, "Alien, what do you think?" Mm-hmm. And if after I said something, he'd be like, "I think that's a really great point." And those kinds of things that men can do for people who are different, not just women, in environments, and that women can do for each other or people can do for each other, I think will make a huge difference. I don't think we do it enough. Why doesn't it happen? And talk a little in the, the Kleiner case with Ellen mm-hmm. Howe, it certainly iterated through the whole industry, and I mm-hmm. don't think it's limited to Kleiner yeah. things that happen there. Whatever side you believe, mm-hmm. whatever side you come out on on that one, it's so familiar. It was so familiar, so many of the yeah. things. It's, I mean, everywhere, not we just all, I mean, not just in tech. We see this everywhere. Right? Sure. We see this in the in the election right now. Right. Oh, yeah. Right? But like, yeah, I Hillary just doesn't think... smile at Matt Lauer, and <laughs> Trump says 10 idiotic things. Yeah, she's it's, it's the... crazy. So I think we all, like men and women, men more so than women in a way, because in venture, they're 95% of the industry. Like, 
you know, there's the big thing about what Michael Mart said on Bloomberg about yeah. like pipeline and stuff. Like, but the reality, I think, with due respect, I mean, he's been an amazing investor, but someone took a chance on him. He was a journalist, mm-hmm. right? In our industry, if we want our industry to change, we have got to make very concerted efforts to go outside of things that we know mm-hmm. and that we're comfortable with. Like, oh yeah, that guy went to Dartmouth. I love Dartmouth guys. Like, mm-hmm. you have to take a chance on people and many people, not just one person, because right. then all the weight is on that one well, that's person. What I'm do you feel the weight? And if they on if yourself? they don't do a great job or they don't work out, it's like, well, we'll never do that again. And right. I've heard that from so many people. Like. Right. The Ellen case, unfortunately, I think, has caused some people to be like, well, we are for sure never hiring women partners because we right. do not want to get in that situation. Right. And that is the wrong message Which, to take you, away. If you replace that with Jewish or any other descriptor, you couldn't possibly say. It would be so wrong. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. What, what do you think the impact of that was ultimately? I think of the all, case? very little. I think very little. I mean, I do think people are talking about, I mean, eight or 10 years ago, if I ever said, like, I remember one time talking to a partner at Kleiner where, like, we had had a meeting or a company present, and afterwards, we're kind of, like, getting lunch and talking, and I said, like, hey, what did you think about this? And, like, this kind of seemed like a problem, and and he was like, why didn't you say that in the meeting? And I was like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm, like, you know, still a junior partner, and I'm female. He's like, He's like I don't want to hear it. Never, ever talk about being a woman again. Huh. That was like the conversation that yeah. we had. Yeah. And um, now, actually, you I think can. we can have that conversation yeah. and yeah. people will listen and hopefully help and yeah. be like, no, you can do it. Yeah. It was interesting. I just advised a friend. They were doing something and no men would do it and they were trying to get her to do it. And I said, say, no men have done this. Why? Oh, my God. That works. Me? So you do that to me. I and do it, it totally works. <laughs> it does. <laughs> like it's because it's factual because it's factual. Like, yeah. have you noticed? Like, I think as long as you point out the facts, yeah. you know, as uncomfortable as it may be. But yeah. I do feel that nothing has changed. I mean, I think women have to push for it. Is that what has to happen? Or I mean, I do feel. Um, or is it just I, demographics? I love my job. Enough? And like, but I feel a little extra motivation to show how good we can be and how great, like the Cowboy Ventures is the money you want at seed. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, it's mostly women. Mm-hmm. Like I feel so motivated and driven by like, how cool would that be if not just for us, but for a lot of other firms where modern firms are winning. Mm-hmm. Like, and what else is a modern firm? Let's finish up on that. What do you think is going to change in venture capital that has to change the way it's done? Because it still feels slightly antiquated. It does, but like we just invested in a company in the most that that we haven't announced yet in the most recent Y Combinator class. And the founders, who are two guys, engineers, who are have been worked in the Valley for a while, were like, we went to a bunch of the, the websites of the VC firms and we're like, hello, you have 15 guys. Like, mm-hmm. do you not get that it's 2016? Mm-hmm. Like, they said that to me. Right. And I feel like venture firms, like, there's a lot of data that shows that diverse teams have better outcomes and make better decisions. And also, with how competitive this industry is getting, if you can't, if you don't have women or diverse people on your team, you're going to miss out. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to be... Diverse of all kinds. Yeah, age, you're going to... Exactly. Race. Introverts, extroverts, like, right. you know... Ethnicity, gen- like sexual orientation. I, I had I a venture capital recently say to me, "Well, we have a Canadian." And I was like, "I'm literally going to. I'm on the phone, yeah, but I'm going to get totally. in my car, come down there, and hit you." Totally. Really hard. Like, oh well, he's Indian. Like, <laughs> great. That's awesome. Yeah. But like, I just do think that when you go to, if you pay attention to it, if you're cruising the websites of all these firms and you look at all the pictures, and like, it's awesome that you have a female CFO and a female GC, but. Mm-hmm. If you look at the investing partners and it is 15 dudes, I do think that those people are going to be left behind if they don't get with where, where the world is going. Is that the same thing at companies? Yeah. Or boards? Yes. 
boards, I think, is really where it Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. When it's one woman versus three or totally. people of color, it's a really interesting changing yeah. dynamic. And that's the thing. Like, sometimes it's funny. Like, I, uh, you probably get these calls where people want to sit down and, like, talk to you about, like, hey, I'm really concerned my firm doesn't have any women. Like, can we mm-hmm. grab coffee and talk yeah. about yeah. it? Like, I don't want to really do that anymore. Yeah, because um, they can find them themselves. Yeah, and they don't do – like, they're not – they just want to talk about it. They're mm-hmm. not actually doing it, and they're not committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, – like, and then, like, the, like, that's one end of the spectrum, and then, like, a couple notches in is, like, we are going to hire one woman. Right. Right? And, like, that just checking the box, I think, is not... Mm-hmm. It's is, not enough. It's not enough. Not enough. Yeah. All right, we're going to finish up on the last question I ask everyone. What is a mistake you've made? Oh, my God. We don't have you, time for this. Yes, How long do. is this podcast? <laughs> no, just one mistake <laughs> of many. So many. Um... What, what, I would, what would say, you do? What, what is a quality you think is critically important to your success? Well, I would say at Cowboy, one mistake or that we have like made a couple times is letting FOMO drive our decisions. Ah, fear where, of missing fear out. of missing out, right? Where we don't see something early enough, so we don't have a ton of time to make a decision. They've already met with a couple other firms and they've gotten term sheets and they want us in, but they're like, you have to decide in a week. And we don't have the time to really get to know the team and the business and meet with them multiple times. And we were like, well, that firm and that firm are really good firms and we really respect those people, so let's do it. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's just not, in my dream world, I have enough, we have enough time to get to the team and we make an independent decision and we would do it even if everyone else passed. Right. Like, I think that's really important. Like, you have to have conviction Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to be contrarian. A lot of times, like, like the kind of like everyone else is like this will never work and you are the one person or the one firm that's like but if it works it's going to be awesome so what do you have to do to overcome that you just have to like put your blinders on and not yeah. listen and not even ask who else is in mm-hmm. or like who like well just make your own decision right right and that's um, hard to do in, in this environment it's also had been very hard to do because the the process has been so rushed mm-hmm. and i think entrepreneurs are trying to realize and it's biting some entrepreneurs right where they get like you get kind of giddy with like all the attention that you're getting mm-hmm. in this process mm-hmm. and you get focused on optimizing the process and the valuation and the heat right. rather than really making long-term decisions about who you're getting married to and i think entrepreneurs are I like to see that, that a lot of them are kicking people off boards and if they're not helpful i've heard that three Have or you? four times recently really yeah yeah Prominent people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think it's done it. Sofi's done it. It's a really, it's like, whoa. Oh, it sounds like you have good good information about things that are happening. I'm watching all of you, Aileen. Oh, well. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much (laughs) for coming on. I'm so glad you're finally here. Again, it's Aileen Lee, who is, what is your title at Cowboy Ventures? I'm founder and managing partner. And managing partner of Cowboy Ventures, which is a seed firm in Silicon Valley that has a wide range of interesting investments. Thank you, Aileen. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Niantic CEO John Hankey, TaskRabbit CEO Stacey Brown-Philpott, and Atlassian co-CEO Mike Cannon-Brooks, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Two Embarrassed Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like The Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our sponsors, Audible, Oxford Road, and Qualcomm. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.